I want to invite you today, if you will, you can turn to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. We'll look there in just a moment. And as you're turning there, i uh, share with you uh, about a friend of mine. I've mentioned him here before. He's one of my oldest friends. We've been friends for going on 30 years now. There's a guy named Wally. And uh, there was a moment probably 20-something years ago, I guess. Uh, I was an uh, older teenager, maybe young 20s, and we had a, a project going on. We were doing something for a ministry we were involved in, and uh, we both drove smaller cars, compact cars, and we needed access to something to do some hauling. We were going to carry some stuff, and so we asked the, uh, the dad of, of another mutual friend of ours if we could borrow his old truck. He had two trucks. One was a Chevy Z71 that sat to the left of their driveway and just sat there most days and said, hey, could it be all right with you if I borrow that truck just to run some stuff? He said, sure. And so we set up a time, Wally and I, to go and pick up this truck. And we go, and it just so happens that it's uh, the day after it has just absolutely monsoon rained. This truck is positioned right to the side of the driveway, but also just another probably eight feet or so over there is just a ravine you would not believe. Right? The only thing between the ravine and the driveway is uh, an old hog wire fence. And when I say fence, I'm using that term really lightly. Okay, uh, Playing basketball in that driveway, there were holes in that fence big enough for basketballs to go through all the time. Right? And so big, huge ravine right over there. Trucks parked there in what is now a muddy, marshy situation. And we start uh, going to get the truck, and the truck is stuck in this mud. And me being who I am, I'm just bound and determined we're going to get it out. And so I'm telling my buddy Wally, listen, man, you just press the gas when I say now. I'm going to give it some shoves. We're going to, we're, this is going to happen. Like, this is happening today. And, and if I'm being honest, probably at that point, part of my motivation was I want to drive this truck. Right? This is probably the coolest truck that I've driven at, my, at this point in my life. I'm doing this thing today. Right? And so I'm back there pushing. He's trying. He gets out at one point. We both try to push it. Watson, you, we, we're both working on this situation. And he's becoming more and more skeptical as the truck is now the tire spinning in mud, starting to slide the back end closer and closer over towards the fence and the ravine. And I'm going, no, man, it's fine. We've got this. I promise. I, I go and look in the back of my car to see what kind of clothes I can put on if I've got any spare so that I can really get down in this. The only thing that I had in my car was a swimsuit that I don't it looked like it was two years too small okay and so um, I, I put this swimsuit on I had some baseball cleats in the back so I'm out there uh, in in a nice dress shirt that I had on to begin with it's the only shirt I had and I've got on my short short swimsuit and then I've got on my metal baseball spikes and I'm standing in the mud and I'm shoving and mud is flying on me and I'm going dude no just one more just try again I've got a board I'm trying to leverage and wedge it out of there and eventually Wally gave up <laughs> He got scared. He was like, dude, we're fixing, this truck is fixing to fall down there, and I'm not, that's not me. I'm not doing that. He's like, if you're taking the truck down there, you're taking it down there by yourself. And so for the last probably 20-some-odd years, every once in a while, I'll be talking to Wally, and I'll be like, hey, man, you left me hanging on that truck, you know, <laughs> right? He'll be like, man, you're such a great friend. I love you. He's a big encourager. He's like, man, you're a true brother. And I'm like, man, you are too, except for that time with the truck, right? Like, <laughs> He's like, man, that truck wasn't coming out of there. I'm like, dude, the truck was coming out. It was, all, it was already out. I just needed you to just go with it. It was out, right? We, we've had this argument a hundred times. I, I felt like my best boy left me hanging in a moment when it was just right there on the precipice of something cool happening. Right? Now, in wisdom, he was probably right. We probably saved our lives in the truck that day. But I felt like he left me hanging, and so we still joke about it to this day. Have you ever felt that way, though? You ever felt like something that you were not expecting to do by yourself is now solo for you to handle and it's a little bit bigger and a little bit more than you were planning on <laughs> we don't have to tell stories today nobody raise a hand because i don't think that would be helpful but sometimes in marriage it happens whether it was communicated clearly that the spouse is going to be there to help out or lend a hand or if it was just expected uh, which is a whole other thing <laughs> like you see this struggle happening why are you not in here helping me 
right? Husbands, we feel that way all the time. I'm just kidding, right? His wives feel that way. The husbands don't get it, right? But anyway, right? Right? Marriage, it happens. Maybe you've had a friend. Think back to school days where you thought you had somebody that was going to walk by you. Maybe it was just walk by you with you into the game or into the cafeteria or into the awkward social situation and the pressure that you can often feel at that age and all of a sudden they weren't with you anymore. Maybe because they couldn't be, maybe because they chose not to be. Maybe it was a friend that you thought you were going to walk through everything in life with and something went down with them between you and for whatever reason they're not there anymore. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to feel like you've been left hanging. It's hard to not have the help that you rightfully expected. As we wrap up today, our Bible study series that we've called Trademarks, we're talking about these unique identifiers of real, authentic, sincere Christian community. What does it look like in the Bible? What are we called to? What do we see are kind of these signs and these products of what happens in a group of people when Jesus is truly the center and the focus We're seeking him out. We're seeking to honor him in our lives individually, but also our lives collectively together. What are some products of that? What happened? Because that's the hope for the future of Dublin Bible Church is that we would just grow more and more in that direction. So we're looking at what does it look like when that happens? Today we're going to look in Galatians chapter 6. Apostle Paul wrote Galatians. He wrote it to a church that had heard the gospel, that their hope rested in Jesus alone, that it wasn't Jesus plus what they could add. It wasn't Jesus plus their obedience. Okay, now you're accepted by God and forgiven. It wasn't Jesus plus their best prayers. It was Jesus has done everything that it takes for you to find acceptance from a completely, purely holy God. (laughs) Acceptance that you couldn't have any other way. Jesus is it. The, The church had heard that message. But then... Some other teachers had come along. This happens multiple times in the Bible. Some other teachers come along, and they're preaching specifically to this church, we believe. This idea that this covenant symbol of circumcision that God had given his people in the Old Testament, that these guys were teaching, hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you still have to do the circumcision thing. You've got to have a surgery if you're going to be a follower. You've you got to go through this if you want to walk with him. You've got to be like us if you want to walk faithfully with Jesus problem with that is that it's really clear scripturally that this covenant symbol if you accept it you're not just accepting a symbol you're not just doing a one-time act you're saying with that symbol I accept the whole covenant of law keeping and trying to honor and please God in that way apart from hoping only in the gospel and unfortunately as these messengers came and they were preaching this message the church started to buy in increasingly more and more And so Paul wrote this letter to the church to urge them away from thinking that they had to meet certain standards, that they had to commit to certain acts if they were to follow Jesus and walk with him faithfully. Multiple times throughout the book, he's talking to them about what it means to participate in an act if that's what you feel honors God, but not if you don't, that you have this freedom in Christ. If you were here a couple of months ago, we talked about freedom, and we said that freedom is just a God-given desire and capacity to follow his leadership. That we're not free when we run our own path and do our own thing. That's what got us in the bondage that we're in, in need of Jesus to begin with. We're free when we have the right Lord over us. We're free when we have the right ramifications and stipulations on our lives. Freedom is what God does in us to give us a desire to follow his commands and to give us the capacity to do that. 
which we couldn't do apart from him. Paul is writing to the church saying, this is what your freedom looks like in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's going to start in verse 6, really focusing in really, or in chapter 6, focusing in really hard on how is it that we get involved in, in the life of freedom for each other. Right, this is the freedom you have in the gospel. What does it look like for you to do that together? How do you help somebody live in the freedom that Jesus died to give them? It's kind of what we're hearing in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. When I get my Bible turned there, because I'm an absent-minded pastor. Here we go. It says this. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the picture is this. The picture is that someone in the church is caught up in sin. They're caught up in a transgression. Right? They're, they're caught up in something that goes beyond the, the, the markers of what God has called us to. They've stepped beyond his lines. And they're, they're living in this moment. A, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a passage from 1 Peter, and we saw there that the love of Jesus beating in our hearts can cover a multitude of sins. We said there that we're not here to be a people who nitpick each other. We're not here to be a people who are constantly looking for and pointing out our differences of opinion or our preferences. More than that, we're not even here to be a people who are constantly nitpicking and searching for each other's sin so that we can immediately slam them and point it out. Love covers a multitude of sins, and yet there are times when we are supposed to speak into each other's lives. We are supposed to confront sin. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some ideas about how to recognize each of those moments. And one of those we see here in this passage is that this person is caught up in transgression. This is not a one-time instance. This is not a one-off sin. This is something that they're struggling with. Maybe they're straining and trying, and they just keep getting tripped up and keep getting tripped up. Even as sincere as their heart may be, they're just, they're just being beaten down by this, where it may be somebody who's, man, just knowing about their sin, and they're just willfully, repetitively walking in it. But either way, what's interesting is what Paul says is to the church is when you see this person who's stuck, who's stuck, specifically in sin, who's captive to something that doesn't honor God, when you see this person, what does he tell them to do? Pray for them and ignore them, right? <laughs> no. What does he say to them? He said, give them to the Lord and just trust that it's going to get better. Absolutely not. Mention them at your Bible study as a prayer request, as a way that you get to talk about them and feel good about it. <laughs> no. What he says there is if you see someone in any transgression, you should restore him. We can say or her. Restore them. When we see somebody struggling with sin, first of all, let's, let's all just get really honest in here. That's going to be a reality. It's going to be something that normally happens. It's regular in the life of an authentic church. We're going to see each other struggle with sin. It's not comfortable. I'm not asking you to be excited about that, but... The other reality is that we live superficial lives and we never really get to know each other because the scripture is clear that we sin. Think about the Apostle Paul talking about his struggles with sin in his life. If he struggled with sin and felt like it was running his world sometimes, then we need to open ourselves up to some humility to go, yeah, that's, that's going to be part of me too. 
So I'm going to have other people see that in my life, and I'm also going to see that in other people's lives, and we're going to help each other forward in our faith. How do we best do that? It says get involved. The worst thing you can do when you see somebody who is part of your faith family, your faith community struggling, the worst thing you can do is nothing. To just think, well, it's not my place. Think, well, I, they'll be all right. Well, I don't. if I say something, I'll say it wrongly or... The worst thing you can do is nothing. It'd be far better for you to step in and the guidance of God's spirit in you and get involved and do it a little bit wrong as opposed to doing a whole lot of nothing. Who are the people in our lives, whether they're part of our faith family or if they're just people that we know that are followers that are near and dear to us, and they're wrestling and they're struggling, they're being beaten down by certain things in their lives, certain sins. What have your thoughts been about those people? What have your actions been and your words been towards those people? Now, we're told, listen, get involved. But we're also told to be careful in a couple of different ways. The first one is this, that we be careful for our own selves. It says, listen, if you're going to get involved with somebody and their struggle with sin, make sure that you're careful so that you're not tempted also. Right? I'm probably not the person to help somebody walk away from a Bluebell ice cream addiction. Okay, Now, I'm your pastor, and I love you, and I'll be there. If it was a real thing in your life, I would show up. But I'm probably going to bring somebody with me. Not coming solo. I need a deacon standing next to me so I can go, hey, Austin, pray for them. Lay hands on them because it's too close to the ice cream, right? I, if, I get to, if I can sniff it out as I'm praying, I'm probably going to end up, I mean, I'm just a human, y'all. Right? He says, listen, be careful lest you be tempted, and I'll just add this to our thoughts this morning is that he's not necessarily specifically saying you be tempted with the same exact sin that's there. For me, it would be if it was ice cream, but it could also be something completely different. For some of us, it could be that we so invest ourselves in trying to help that we forget we're not the Savior. And we're no longer pointing them to Jesus. We're just straining with our whole hearts to be their Savior. And then we're just kind of attaching Jesus' name at the end. As a youth pastor, I had a season where I was just distraught about a group of teenagers, and I'll never forget sitting in a McDonald's right in front of St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. My pastor had come to visit as well, someone in the hospital, and we were sitting there having breakfast. As he was asking me about what I was wrestling with these kids, just, I started just talking, it just started coming out. And I remember just saying, man, I just, I just want to save them. And that sounds so honorable, right, that I would have a tear trickling down my cheek, and I would say, and I just want to save them. And he was so wise. He is so wise. He just sat and looked at me, and we both just kind of let it, the light bulb go off for me to realize that I don't save anybody. <laughs> that maybe I was running myself to exhaustion, that maybe my own faith was limping a little bit because I was doing everything I thought to fill every gap so that these kids could be free from their sin. But the problem was, is if I'm doing it all and filling every gap, where's the need for Jesus? He says, be careful when you get involved in each other's sin, lest you too be tempted. But he also tells us to be careful in the way that we approach it with others. He says, in a spirit of what? Gentleness. The way that you approach should be thought through. The tone you approach with should be Christ-like. As you approach someone and you're going to try to help them get untangled from this barbed wire of sin that's constraining them, don't go to them in such a way and, and say, go to Jesus, but say it in such a way that makes Jesus look unattractive if he looks like you. <laughs> I was at a new high school on a brand new baseball team with a lot of guys I didn't know. and 
we were taking ground balls. I was at second base, and I missed a ground ball as much as you can miss one. You can't miss a ground ball better than I missed one, right? I mean, at five hole, it went straight through my legs. I didn't get a glove on it. I couldn't have tried to miss and missed it by more. Rolled through my legs, and the guy who was behind me was going to go back and pick it up real quick so that I can continue taking my round of ground balls. And the coach, who didn't know me very well, only been around him for a few weeks, yells out and says, no, you let Durant go get that ball. He's the cockiest guy out here. Put my head down, acted tough, ran back, got the ball, threw it in. I was 17 and I'm 40, and I remember that really clearly. Because probably outwardly it may have looked like I was super cocky in the way that I didn't say as much or talk as much or how I handled myself, but inwardly I was super anxious and nervous about being in a new place with all new people. And man, I don't even, I just don't want to mess up and look foolish on the baseball field. The coach wasn't wrong to tell me to go pick up my ball, the coach wasn't wrong to instruct me and help me to get better. But man, just making an assumption and, and yelling something at me wasn't getting it done. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to be a people who make assumptions about others' faith. We're not called to be people who lob up big challenges with tough words. He says, go and get involved in their lives. Be careful that you're not tempted, but also restore them in a, in a sense of gentleness. Now, you heard that word restore. That word restore means that the end of this action, the end goal is not just morality. The end goal of these kind of interactions with us as followers of Jesus is not just that the person will stop doing the bad thing and start doing the good thing. There's more at the end than just that. That's important, but it says restore them. The term that's actually used there connoted a, a, a joint that was out of joint. Right, a finger that had been out of jointness, put it back in line with the body. The picture here is sin is removing something. It's misaligned. It's not functioning rightly. Things are not going well. Go to them and help them gently in a way that they would be restored to you. We live the compassionate care of Jesus when we carefully call those away from sin and to ourselves. Now watch this. Make sure you caught it. We're living out the compassionate care of Jesus. We're looking like Jesus with our lives. Our love looks like his love. When we're calling people carefully, we just said, we're carefully calling them out of their sin. We're carefully, gently for them, carefully for us. We're carefully calling them away from sin, but we're calling them to us. We're going, hey, I love you and I care about you. Come on, let's walk away from this and let's walk away together. I'm not just going to offer you some advice. Right? I'm going to go along with you and give you guidance as we walk away from this together. As a youth pastor, one night that I'll never forget, I got to be present starting late at night, all through the night into the early morning as a teenager that I knew had decided to run away. He had been house-sitting for a neighbor. Neighbor had been out for a week or so, and he just got the idea, I guess. He borrowed the neighbor's car, or you could say stole it, and he disappeared. They later found him several hours away. Really, and just as a side note, in a, in a dumb place. Like, don't go get on the front strip at Front Beach if you're trying to avoid being, anyway, whatever, right? But I hadn't told him that yet. Maybe we'll talk later, but. What I most remember about that night, though, is being with his family. We would go out and look in certain areas, and we were constantly communicating with each other over the phone. 
we would meet back at a central place a couple of different times and be around them. I just remember being captivated by watching his dad. His dad was just, man, so laser focused on, I want my boy back. There are going to be conversations later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they may still be having conversations. Right, he comes to sit down for dinner as an adult. He's probably bouncing his own kid on his knee, and I'm sure the dad's like, hey, you remember that time? <laughs> right, like that's, right? There's going to be some conversations. There's going to be some discipline. We're going to help you get this corrected. But it was just so incredibly clear to me that whole night that that was nowhere near the radar of the dad in that moment. What he wanted was his boy back where he was. I want him back. We've got to find him. We've got to find him. Is that the heart that would drive us? As we see each other struggling with sin, wrestling with sin, and we will because we're human, as we see that, will that heart drive us to say, I want you right here with me, figuring this out together, figuring out how to walk faithfully in this together. That's a call on our lives. It's what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to, to hand out and pass out forgiveness certificates. He didn't come to hold us at a distance by the collar of our shirt and kind of clean us up a little bit and go, okay, now you're good. Jesus said, I'm coming to bring you to myself. I'm going to bring you to the Father. This is the gospel. Will the gospel move us in the way that we interact with each other's sins? Will we care enough about each other to get past our own fears and insecurities to step in and walk together? Specifically, this is what Paul is calling us to in relation to sin in this verse, but we'll see he's going to call it to us in a more broad way in the second verse. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Jesus died to set us free from this idea that we have to perform and we have to make it and we have to do all the things just right and when we don't we have to do all the super detailed sacrifices just right so that then we can hopefully be right with God in some measure. He, he came to set us free from that. So what does it mean when it says this law of Christ? What I think Paul is wanting us to get and understand here is that to walk as led by Jesus would lead us is to let him live through us and therefore Jesus' standards promise help for heavy life. When we walk according to what he's leading us to, when we walk in line with his standards, we'll find that life will be sometimes harder, but it will also in some weird way that only Jesus can produce in us feel lighter. That there's more going on in my life, and yet I'm more glad about my life. Because he's the center of it, he's the point of it, and he's present with me in it. Can you just imagine how a world around us would respond if we see people struggling in their sin, if we see people standing under these big, huge weight circumstances of life, maybe it's things that have been handed to them that they couldn't have avoided in any way. Sometimes it's things that they could have avoided with a couple of better decisions. But I, am I the only one who's made a couple of bad decisions in my life? Can you imagine how a world would respond when they're expecting and they know that the way that they expect to be treated is, well, I've messed up and it's obvious and I'm kind of, quote unquote, the dirty one. So somebody might lob me a little handout. They might give me a little help, but there's no way that they're really going to come near to me. Can you imagine how striking a contrast it would be to see a person moved by the Spirit of God go, no, 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 come in. Come in close. Man, I'll hug you. I love you. I want to bear that weight with you. 
When you see the person who's struggling through their relational issues. When you see a person who's struggling with mental health issues. When you see a person wrestling with addiction. When you see a person whose family looks all kind of haywire and chaotic. Which, by the way, most of us do if you just got a really good snapshot. Man, if you see these things, are we people who turn and push away? Or are we people who, like Jesus, run to? Say, let me stand under that with you. So many times there's this tension in us that goes, man, I'm, I'm at like 98% capacity with my own life. How am I going to ever get involved in somebody else's life? And I just wonder how many times it is, even in my own life, that I've missed out on seeing the strength of God to carry me to do ministry in somebody else's life. That I've missed out on seeing what God can do even when I feel depleted and done because I just assume I don't have anything left and I don't get involved. Maybe we're not seeing God carry us past our self-imposed limitations because we're never putting ourselves in a place to see him show up. To step in and bear burdens. Now the flip side of this coin is this, is that if anybody's going to ever bear burdens with us, we have to allow them to. We have to let them be aware enough of what's going on for them to step in. If we're holding up a huge boulder, we got to let them know that so that they can come in and put in a hand. I don't know if I've shared this here before or not, but I was out of town a couple of years ago and I went to a gym because I, for some reason, was thinking that was something I was going to start doing again. Went in this gym, paid a little money as a visitor, and I was on the bench doing some bench press. It was, it was not a, a heavy weight day. It was a lot of reps day. So it was low weight, super low weight, but I was just supposed to be doing a ton of reps. I'm in this brand new gym. I've never met anybody there, and I don't know how many reps I had done pushing this super small weight. And I thought the thing that, that many of us have thought before, I got one more. And I went for my one more, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't one more. It didn't, it didn't push up. <laughs> I kind of pushed it. I got it a little bit off my chest. I was like, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it, right? And a stranger that I don't know sees me struggling with this from the side, and he goes, hey, man, you need a spot? I went, no, good. <laughs> I'm good, right? Appreciate you, good. So I sat there with it for a minute, like, okay, now I'm going to be strong enough to get it up. I'll just breathe, right? Like air is somehow going to make my muscles transfer. Like, I don't know. I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to get this myself. And I don't know, but I'm sure the guy's watching me like, okay, let's see how good you are. <laughs> and I go to push, and I get it up a couple inches lower than I got it up the last time. And I look over. He's kind of in my back peripheral at this point, and he's looking at me, and I go, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes over there and gets it. He was super nice. He used both hands to pick it up. He could have just put a pinky under it and just been like, whoop. But at some point, if the weight was going to be lifted off of me, I had to look at somebody and go, yeah, I need your help lifting this weight. How many times is life absolutely crushing us? And maybe it's even something that we're embarrassed to admit that would be crushing us. We're going, this shouldn't be this big of a deal for me. This shouldn't be this hard for me. Maybe you feel that way, but if it's crushing you, it's crushing you. How many times is there help from Jesus through the people that he dwells in, and yet we're just not going, hey, come over here and help me lift this. I know you can't lift all of it. I know you can't stay here and lift it forever because you got your own stuff you're working on lifting. But just for a minute, come help me lift this. When we live according to the standards of Jesus, he offers us help for the heavy in life. Now, you may be thinking... Quickly, we'll run through these last couple of verses. Why do we even need these commands? Why does God even need to tell us that we need to help people when they're overburdened? Or why does he tell us we need to help people when they're struggling with sin? It seems like something we would all know that just seems right to do. 
How would we mess that up? Why would we not help? Verse 3 says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. I think we see maybe a key reason that we would not get involved in somebody else's life. At least one of the key reasons. When we see Paul say, listen, how are you thinking of yourself? How are you thinking of yourself? If you're thinking that you're big and you're important and you're something, if you're thinking that you've got it figured out and you're good and you're living the pure life in such a strong way that, no, I don't want to get involved with somebody's brokenness like that, that's, that's below me, that's beneath me. He says, don't think of yourself as if you're something, because who do you deceive, verse 3? Who's the primary person that you trick when you live that way? Yourself. You're not tricking others very often, but you're definitely not tricking God. Because you know who you really are, and you've, you've got struggles. You skin your knees spiritually. It happens. Don't lie to yourself and think that you're above being able to assist someone else. He says, but test your own work. Verse 5, he says, we'll, we'll be able to boast not in how we compare with someone else and whether we're doing better than them, but we'll be able to boast. I think there he just means we'll be able to say, I, I see the work of God in my life in this way, not because I'm better than that person, but you'll be able to boast in carrying your own load, says verse 5. Now, when he talks about someone being constrained in verse 2 under a heavy burden, he's talking about an unrealistic weight, maybe like a boulder. When he talks about his, your own load in verse 5, it's carrying a realistic weight, a fitting weight, and so maybe like carrying a backpack that's yours. He says, listen, don't look at others as a, as a mode of gauging yourself and determining how good you're doing spiritually and therefore how much you should and shouldn't help somebody else. Don't consider yourself high and mighty. It, instead, let it be about you doing what you need to do in faithfulness to Jesus. Faithfulness is crippled by comparison. Our faithfulness is crippled when we start to compare it to other people. We either don't act at all because we feel less than, we don't act at all because we feel more than, or we do act and we're acting from a sense of pride, or we're acting from a sense of prove it when we're living out of a mindset of comparison. If we want to compare ourselves, we should compare to the holiness of Jesus. That will give us humility. It will also give us hope because we know that he dwells in us. We can compare to our form of faithfulness so that we can see the work of God. Maybe it's just a step farther or just an inch better down the road, but he's growing us and we can go, thank you, God. You want to compare, compare there. I was not a great student in high school. I wouldn't encourage anybody to follow my patterns, but one of the things that I used to do, anytime we got a test back, I would see what my score was, and it was usually a little bit less than my parents would prefer. And by a little, I mean a lot. And I would go, like, start walking to the trash can to throw a paper away, or I'd find reasons to kind of go around the room and, and peek over people's shoulders, and I would try to find somebody's grade who was less than mine. And once I found it without them knowing it, then I would walk up to them and go, like, hey, what'd you get? They'd be like, man, I did not do good. I did not do good. I got a 67. Like, dude, don't feel bad. It's not that bad, right? It was a hard test. 67 is not that bad. And then I'd be like, I mean, it's not a 68, right? <laughs> like, but it's good. 
Can I tell you, this is reality. I was thinking about this driving here this morning. I hadn't thought about it until then. But, but from time to time, I still have a nightmare where I'm sitting in senior classes, realizing in an instant that I don't know any of the stuff I'm supposed to know and have learned, and I'm about to fail and not graduate. It's a nightmare I have. I'm 40. It still happens sometimes. I wake up, and I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm not still in Miss Best's class because it was horrible, right? She was great. I love you, Miss Best, if you're watching. But class, no. Right? My, my standard was let me show myself that I'm better than somebody else, and that'll make me feel good. But it, it led me to some pretty majoring issues in my education. I'm an adult, and I don't know how to talk to you about some common sense, common education stuff. You bring up history <laughs> stuff and talk about it, and I'll probably be like, yeah, yeah, man. And on the inside, I'm like, got to Google that. Don't know what they're talking about. Right? Like, it's, it's normal for me. You could do the old math with me right now, and I still can't help you. Right? It doesn't matter if it's new or old. I can't do it. There are just things that are missing that are gaps in my life because my standard of how well I was doing was compared to somebody else's score instead of compared to the expectation. Paul says, listen, don't let comparison strip you of faithfulness. Compare yourself to Jesus. You'll be humbled and you'll have hope because he's the same one who's at work in you. And then go get involved in the lives of others as they struggle with sin, as they struggle under unbearable weights. People don't need a church that is perfect, thank God, because there's not one. People don't need more churches with great teachers and preachers of God's word because there's a lot of those. And God's word can handle itself. People don't need more churches with more ministries and more cooler this or that and the other. What they need is a group of people who are saying, my hope is in Jesus and I want you to see that. Because I'm imperfect and I'm struggling and straining, but I'm doing it because I see him and he's carrying that out in me. And it gives me a sense of peace that surpasses understanding. It gives me a joy that you could not possibly fathom. Even though I'm hurting, I'm hopeful. What people need is to see a bunch of people who cling to Jesus and that clinging drives them to get involved in the lives of others. I'm convinced that as people see that, they'll see Jesus and they might just be amazed. Man, when we see Jesus and we're not amazed, we're seeing some Jesus that the Bible's not talking about. Because when we see his grace, we will go, oh my goodness, I can't believe he loves me like that. We can be a people who show that to each other and who show that to the world around us. If we'll be a people who will jump into each other's lives, who will lend a hand with the heavy, who will carefully dissect the ties that are binding and help people out of sin. Is that you today? Is that me today? How do we respond to God's word? Would God put somebody specific on your mind? And, may, and maybe it's just for the sake of repentance towards them, just to go, hey, listen, I don't even know what I should have done, but I know what I did was nothing, and, and I'm sorry. I left you hanging. I'm convinced that Jesus is seen really clearly a lot of times through a, a clear word of confession and a plea for forgiveness. How do you need to move your feet in faith to the response to this word of God. Let's pray. Let's ask him to show us. So God, I am inspired. I'm infused with energy and awe and expectancy when I think about living life 
based on your grace in this kind of way. And God, I'm also aware that I'll probably be less passionate about it. That my excitement, my emotion will probably run lower when life is happening all around me this week. God, I pray you would do away with anything that I've said today, God, that you would do away with anything that would have landed in a way to make us feel shamed and overburdened about what we're not doing. And God, I pray that you would swell up inside of us a huge sense of opportunity and honor at being your hands and feet in each other's lives. God, give us the courage to say to someone else in this room, hey, I need help, it's heavy, whatever it is. Give us the courage, God, please. God, give us the compassion to see and notice others and get involved. I thank you for a church that does that so well, God. I pray that you would bloom even more of that in us. I pray, God, that you would teach us how to turn that more so and more so outward to those around us who aren't part of us. God, would you lead us by your spirit? As we leave to worship, God, would you lead us by your spirit in how we respond faithfully to your word? I pray that you would let us see the people this week. I pray that you would prompt us and let the light bulb go off in our hearts as we see that person who just needs a hand this week, who just needs a word, who just needs an encouragement, who needs a help. God, I pray you would let us see it in our hearts when our hearts are hard or closed off to the person struggling in their sin, caught up. Lead us and let us enjoy your leadership. Let us walk in your freedom and enjoy being part of walking others towards it too. Show us how. We'll leave now to go and worship. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Man, thank you all so much. Thank you for the honor of getting to preach God's word to you. Just say to the three or four of you that made some little snide comment today about me having a jacket on because I was cold, you knew I was going to sweat anyway, right? I mean, I thought as I was walking out to my truck, I was like, it doesn't matter if it's snowing, I'm going to sweat. We're going to be fine, right? Like, don't worry. Anyway, love you. Glad that you're here. Be sure to encourage somebody this week. Be sure to thank Jordan and Josh for being here. What a wonderful job they did of pointing us towards the Lord this morning. So be sure to thank them as well and remember to pray for them. Maybe you could take a second and hear from them about their church plant and how you can pray specifically. Whatever you do, go from this place and, and go to live worship to Jesus. Go make much of him. Let us know how we can help, all right? Much love.